So we are in Acts 20 today. Um, and it's got some lot of strong emotions in it and everything. Paul is wrapping it up in one area and continuing on with his third missionary journey. So we're just going to remind ourselves of why we're here, to be witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ, right? To be a witness to him in the world. And to be a witness is, uh, we have a testimony to that. And at the end of this chapter here in 20, Paul's going to be giving his testimony to the elders and encouraging them. So, if we are called to be witnesses for Jesus, and Paul is also called to be a witness to Jesus, and he's going to lay out to the elders, the Ephesian elders, of how he has been a testimony or been a witness and a testimony and an example to follow. He's going to encourage them to follow. We also need to follow his example. Our Christian life should be proof of Jesus. Because if you're a witness and if you have a testimony, you're witnessing to the truth of something, to facts of something, our lives, every Christian's life should be evidence of Jesus, right? The more we disappear, the more he, dominant he is in our lives, how we go through struggles in life. If we like fall apart like the rest of the world who doesn't know Jesus, that's not a witness. There's no proof. But if we rise above it, if we hold our own, if we're able to... to um, Go through these trials with joy, peace of mind, kindness, all the fruit of the Spirit coming out. That is proof that Jesus exists because he exists in us, okay? So, let's take a look at chapter 20 here. And it starts off with, after the uproar ceased. Last week, we studied a horrible riot Um, where the people just, you know, it was very satanic-led. They just um, got them riled up because their financial uh, means were falling apart, and they were just revving up the crowd, and they were chanting, you know, praises to their idol god, you know, Artemis, and they were just in the arena shouting, you know, and, and just for two hours... And, it, and that riot took more of a toll on Paul than Luke is letting us know about. And our lesson went a little bit back into that in 2 Corinthians. Um, that really made an impact on Paul. Um, in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 11, he talks about how it was unbearably, he was unbearably crushed to the point of depression, believing that they were honestly going to die. I mean, he was at a point in his life, he'd been through many, many, many things, but this, the whole environment there was just too much pressing down on Paul. But we know that God is sovereign, and we know that God used that town clerk, that mayor to stand up there and disperse the crowd. Everything was under God's control. Everything, even a hysterical mob. And we have to remember that. God can even silence the hysterical mobs that are out there. So he had delivered Paul and his friends, the church, from a deadly peril. 
Okay, so he had gone through that very stressful, stressful time. He had some fruitful years in Ephesus, but it was time to move on. So after that whole uproar came down, after Paul had gone through this stressful, depressing situation, it says he went to, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions, he had been given them, even given them much encouragement. Duh! I look at that and say, if I had experienced something so traumatic like that, you know, what would we do today? We might write a book, you know, post it a lot. Look what I just went through. Woe is me, right? Me, 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 me. How can I recover? I need to get a therapist. You know, it'd be, we'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? PTSD would set in. You name it. We would be a victim of that. We're just in a mentally ill society, but we look at Paul, and what does Paul do? Twice in, in, in that um, section I just read, he encouraged other people. Well, how could he do this? Because he got his strength from God. That's the only way. He didn't have it in him, humanly speaking. He got his strength from God, and he poured into them and encouraged them. That is a mark of genuine love for the saints. It wasn't a selfish, I can't do this anymore. That just really, I mean, that was just, I'm sorry, God. You're just going to have to get somebody else. I'm having nightmares about it. I can't eat or drink, right? Okay. But he didn't. He didn't do that. He got up, he encouraged other saints, and he carried on because he got his strength from God. He was investing in others. He was equipping the saints to carry on. In Colossians 1.28, Paul writes, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul writes, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul's focus isn't on himself His focus is on investing in other people and making them be all that they can be with the strength. He toils with it with the strength that God gives him. This is our example. This is the testimony that Christ is is real for Paul to go through something like that and to carry on. That's a supernatural thing that happened there with him. So we see him traveling through the different regions there. Um, Maybe he's collecting some more money for the struggling church in Jerusalem because they were greatly impoverished from persecution. And again, he's building the unity of the church. So we see here um, in verse 3, he's in Greece now for three months, and he's doing what he's doing, preaching and teaching and encouraging the saints. And what do we have? Always with him, always tagging along in the shadows behind him are the Jews that are out to get him and plotting against him. Again, I mean, it's like, and I'm starting to think, maybe that's the thorn in his side, you know? That's all, they're always there. It's it's almost like, okay, where are are they hanging out now? I know they're with me, the the Jews, you know, that that hate God, hate Christ, and just are plotting against me. They're, they're, They're around, 
He has to make trips calculating, oh, they found out about this, so I got to change my plans and I got to go over here. You know, they're out to destroy him. But we know it's not going to happen. God's sovereign is going to take care of him, but he's constantly aware of them all the time. But in a sense, it's also a good thing because if Jesus hadn't gotten a hold of Paul, he would have been just like them. He was just like them before Jesus got a hold of him, right? So it's almost like a constant reminder that that could have been him set aside the grace of God. So almost like keeping him humbled, um, keeping him remembering from where he came. Um, But I bet you it was really, really irritating. So they're plotting against him. um, And so he was forced to take another route, and he was delayed... um, because he had to take this detour. Um, They had plotted against by Jews, so he was about to set sail to Syria and go back to Macedonia. And then there's a list of people that are with Paul, some traveling companions. I'm going to wet my missile because I am going to attempt to say these names. You ready for this, girls? (laughs) Because those names are in here for a reason. That's a word in the book of God, in the Bible, just like John 3.16 is in here. It means something. These people are traveling with Paul, okay? And we know that he's collecting this money to give to the church in Jerusalem. He wanted to be there for Passover, but... We're going to find out that he didn't make it to Passover. We're going to try to get there for Pentecost, okay? So there's these lists of these people. And as we know, Paul is building the church, overcoming boundaries, not just to the Jew, but to the Gentile, not just in Jerusalem, but in Samaria and Judea and the outermost parts of the earth, different continents, conquering evil. I mean, he is pulling the church together as one. This List of names, one, two, three, four, five, six names here. These traveling companions represent people from different areas and different churches that were going with Paul to Jerusalem to give their gift, their offering gift to help the church in Jerusalem that was impoverished, okay? They are a very diverse group, which again is telling us that There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, but all are one in Christ. This list represents that. As we look at it, we're going to see that Saphatar is a Berean, okay? And he was accompanied by um, Phizus, who was from from, he was accompanied by him. So we have a group from Berea, and we also have a group from Thessalonica. We know from chapter 1711 that the Bereans were more noble in character than the Thessalonicans. So you have a more sophisticated testing the scriptures and seeing if they're good, and the Thessalonians were more of a simple, simpler group of people maybe. They were different. They were diverse. But here we have them named coming together, traveling with Paul in unison. The next group of names are pretty phenomenal. We have Aristoteris, which comes from the word aristocrat, 
which is best or better or higher up in society. And guess who he's traveling with? Secondus, which is number two. Secondary, secondus, which is usually a name given to a slave. So here you have an aristocrat of a society traveling with maybe a possible slave of the society coming together. You got the intellectual Bereans, and then you got the more, you know, not as noble Thessalonians coming together. So you have this diversity of people coming together. Just don't slur over those names like that. They're in there for a reason, okay? Luke took time to list these names for us so we can have an understanding of what Paul was doing, what God was doing through Paul's work, okay? God accepts everyone. He accepts everyone. That's diversity. But God does not accept every behavior. That's our problem in the world today, isn't it? Sin is, a, is, a, is, is behavior is a sin. He's not going to accept all that. He can't accept groups of people or people who, who act different in this name of diversity. It's not going to happen. So, does her his traveling companions. They sail away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, which tells us that he was there um, for Passover in Philippi. He didn't make it to Jerusalem for the Passover. But he stayed there and celebrated um, in Philippi. Um, and in five days he came and joined them up, went to Troas, where he stayed for seven more days. Traveling. You know how weary traveling is? I don't know. I used to maybe like it, but I can't, I can't imagine traveling anymore. And they walked on foot, and they just, you know, I just, he was constantly, constantly on the go. Go, 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 go. Always working. Joining up with this group of men, witnessing to them, encouraging them, relentlessly and persistently pursuing the good of others. That was Paul. That is another mark of a, of a true believer is the love of God. Because if you look at 1 Corinthians 13, which we studied last week, being persistent and, and um, um, well, you guys can look it up. Uh, it, and it's a, good, it's a good verse to kind of, you know, we memorized it. And of course, you just, you know, memorize it and you just always forget about it. 1 Corinthians 13, it's got that list of what love is. And this was Paul, um, never ends, um, um, Patient and kind, doesn't envy or boast, is not arrogant, not rude, does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable, resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, it never ends. This was Paul constantly pouring into others, never whining and complaining about his own issues that are going on. Um, at least it's not written about in here. I know he was human, I know he wasn't perfect, but the focal point of what God wants us to get is that we we live for God and 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 encourage the church. So we also know here that Luke catches up with him. Did you guys catch that? We start using the we in there. Luke kind of shows up again on the scene. Um, Paul had left him in Philippi in chapter sixteen forty, but now we have Luke with us. All right, this Paul is a great example 
of how to be a witness for Christ. We're commanded to be a witness to him. Paul is an example to us on what that would look like. Okay. Paul and his teaching. All right, here we go. Um, He goes ahead of the ship, and they set sail, and they go around, and they arrange different things, moving around, moving around, moving around, going through all these different islands, maybe collecting more money at all these different islands, and they touch down, and Paul um, decides not to go to Ephesus because he would probably get stuck spending more time there because he wants to hasten ahead and get to Jerusalem, if possible, for Pentecost, which is 50 days after Passover. He missed Passover, so we're going to try and get there for for um, Pentecost. And he's in on the mainland now. And we have in verse 17. I have verse 7 to 8, and I know that can't be right. Oh, I am. That is right. Seven to eight. And it says that the first day of the week, when they were gathered together to break bread, Paul was talking to him. This is the first reference that we have that the, the Christians gathered together on the first day of the week on Sunday. Okay? Um, they've started to make a practice of it, gathering together on the first day of the week for fellowship and communion to breaking the bread. So that could be why we celebrate on Sunday. We go to church. Right, Paul was talking with them, and he was going to leave the very next day. And so we have him just wanting to just tell them as much as he needs to tell them. And there's just so much to pour into them. He's talking. He's been preaching for six hours. Six hours is a long time. But he was talking about some pretty good stuff. They were in an upper room. And remember, Dr. Luke is recording this for us, Okay. And Dr. Luke is pointing out some things in that room that can give us an idea of what was going on with this young man. He was talking late into the night, and it was a young man. So Iodicus was probably between 7 and 14 years old. That would be that frame, you know, how they would describe a young man then. And he was um, up there also. There were many lamps in the upper room, okay? He was sitting in the window, and where he fell into a deep sleep as Paul was talking longer and longer. It's probably past his bedtime, and he falls out the window. Third story. So you have a room that's filled with people, got a lot of lamps in there, because maybe people were writing stuff down. I don't know what they're doing, but oil lamps give off a lot of fumes, stuffy, whatever. Young man just can't quite make it happen in the window. His mom maybe says, go sit in the window maybe and get some fresh air. Whatever, next thing we know, he falls out the window. All right. Luke is recording this. Luke is a doctor. Luke says he was taken up dead. I know some of your commentators are saying, was he really dead? Maybe he just bumped his head and he had a concussion or whatever. But Dr. Luke says he's dead. So let's just go with he's dead. He's dead. Because there's, there's a really powerful message behind the fact that he did die. He dies, Paul gets up, goes down, bends over him, taking him in his arms, and he says, do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had, and that's all they say about that, 
gone up, break bread some more, converse some more. They're fellowshipping. He's talking some more and everything until daybreak, and then they departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Luke and these things. So what's the opposite? Not a little comforted means they were greatly comforted, right? (laughs) They were greatly comforted. So what happened here? Why is this even in this story? Um, Some of us hadn't even heard of this story before, right? (laughs) Okay. Well, it's it's pretty phenomenal that two things about this. Paul says to them, His life is in him. As believers in Jesus Christ, we never spiritually die. Our body may die, but our life is in us. That is not going to die. You're not going to have that second death, okay? We live life, some of us, like my, we're so afraid of dying. We lock ourselves up and we do all these stupid things. or whatever. I mean, we need to take care of ourselves, but we can't live in the fear of dying, because we're not going to die like that. The life is in us. Praise God. The life is in us. Okay? The other thing about this is the importance of the resurrection. Jesus is a game changer because he didn't stay dead. Jesus is a game changer because he conquered death. Jesus is a game changer for us because we're in him and we are going to be resurrected our bodies and live forever and ever and ever with him. That is the Christian message. That's the bulk of the gospel. And here's Paul saying goodbye to these people. What, I mean, you want some kind of a, a ex, experiential impact on somebody's life? Well, you demonstrate the resurrection right there. Are they going to remember that? Yes. Yes. Put a little punctuation mark on the end of what the gospel is. We're all going to rise from the dead again. So, So what joy there was. So they weren't a little, they were not just a little comforted, but greatly comforted, not just by the fact that this young man didn't die, but the fact that, wow, that's right. We're not going to die. The life is in us. Again, Paul is just giving this great example of how to be a witness for Christ with the faith and the hope of the resurrection. We need to live our lives like we believe this. Amen? <laughs> and we, without fear, we need to live our lives like we really believe the life is in us. And no one's going to snatch it out of us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, not death, right? Not sin. So that's why that funky story's in there, right? It makes sense, doesn't it? Just to make a powerful one-two punch, this is what it's all about. And Paul act like it was nothing. Go down there, lay on top of them, get up and go eat some more food. <laughs> the man is just like the, what is the, ever-ready rabbit or whatever that little bunny called. What is it? What is it called? Energizer bunny. (laughs) Okay, I think that probably dates us. I don't even think that adds in up there anymore. Okay. So here we go. We have him now traveling on. He's traveling through all these little, um, I got ahead of myself a minute ago, traveling through all these different things and stuff. And he didn't want to spend time in Ephesus because he needed to get to Pentecost. 
Um, and he calls the Ephesian elders to him instead of going there because he wanted to pour into them. Constantly thinking of others, focused on others, strengthening the church, and constantly being pursued by the enemies of God. Um, And we have to remember that that happens to us too. Constantly pursued by the enemies of God. Roaring lion, walking around. So he had to change his plans. Instead of sailing, he's going to walk. He's going to walk 20 miles, tirelessly available. I'm sure while he's walking, he's talking to whoever's coming with him along the way. They pick up Paul and they sail off to all these coastal islands and end up on the mainland. Okay. So he's got the elders there. He sent for them and he wants to encourage and exhort them. Again, pouring, 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 pouring into him. All right. This brings us up to verse 18. And when they had come to Paul, he said to them, This is his testimony. This is what he wants them to remember about him as being an example for him, for them. Paul's life was proof of Jesus because Paul lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's part of our memory verse too. We're going to be his witness because what? We'll have the Holy Spirit. We're not a witness to Jesus when we live in the power of our own flesh. But we're a witness to Jesus. We're proof of him when we live in the power of the spirit that he's given us, okay? So he's got a few things here, three things here he wants to point out to them on how they should live their lives also because he role modeled it to them, okay? Um, He says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Now, this is kind of weird because it says, I'm a humble person. And we all know that when you acknowledge that you're a humble person, are you really a humble person? (laughs) And yet here's Paul saying he's a humble person, okay? So... The opposite of humility is pride, okay? Paul wanted these elders to realize that they needed to be able to deal with praise early on. Paul wanted them to realize that they, he recognized himself, Paul, as being no different than anybody else. Paul knew and remembered he was just a sinner saved by grace and he was using the gifts given to him by God. That's who Paul was, okay? And maybe this group of Jews that followed him around kept reminding him of that. I don't know. But for whatever reason, we're thankful that Paul didn't get full of himself and prideful because then God couldn't have used him like he used him now. Um, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says... For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? Then if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Any gift that we have from God, any good that we do, is not from our own uh, source. We're not the resource of that. But it is because God has given us the ability to do that. So therefore, we cannot boast about it. We can't boast about it. 
As I was studying, I read a little example of a um, pastor who um, was in a church. Anyways, he was watching this uh, young pastor give his first sermon, whatever, and this young pastor bounds up the stairs all full of confidence and gets up here and he, and he starts, you know, preaching and it, it wasn't very far into his little sermon that he started to fall apart and he couldn't remember and he was stumbling over words and he, he walks back down kind of like totally humiliated back off the platform. And the elder pastor in the audience came up to him and said, young man, if you had walked up there the way you walked down, then you probably would have walked down the way you walked up. <laughs> I like that, you know. So, um, so he was telling these elders that they had to learn how to deal with praise. Um, when when you're when you're breaking open the Word of God and you're you're, you're teaching and you, and this is this you can't get any better material than this to teach. It's going to be good. It's going to have an effect on people. I mean, when God opens up their hearts. And so they're going to say, wow, that was really good. That just meant so much to me and everything like that. And that's a good thing because you want that to happen. But they, they, you've got to remember that it didn't come from the person, the, pre, the speaker. They were just a tool that was being used. Pride gets a hold of ministers and pastors all the time. They fall like crazy. And so this was the first thing that Paul was reminding them to do, that they are no different than anybody else, sinners saved by grace, that's just just using the gifts that God had given them. Second thing he wants them to see is that he has served them with tears. Tears are mentioned twice in this, in verse 19, and then again in 31. Um, Paul wasn't a whiner. It wasn't like he was a crybaby. But what this is saying is that he, he truly had empathy for others. He struggled with them. He felt their hurts. He struggled with their struggles. Um, he grieved with them when they were in grief. He was very empathic toward them, okay? Um, and he wanted to stress to these elders the importance of that. Um, connection, one in the church. When one part of the body hurts, they all hurt, don't they? It affects everybody. So humility, have empathy, the third thing is get your priorities right. He talks here in verse 20, says this twice also, did not shrink. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And he goes and he says he talked about it in public, he talked about it in private. He testified to the Jews, he testified to the Greeks. He talked to anybody about it, any time of day he talked about it. And then again down in verse 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He did not shrink back, he did not hesitate, he did not get embarrassed, he did not, mm, should I talk to him about it? He was just wide open in front the whole message here, it's all about Jesus and the truth and what he's done for us and how to live for him. So getting their priorities straight is that you are always, always constantly teaching, representing, being a witness to, to Jesus Christ, okay? Paul says in verse 24, I did not account my life of any value nor as a precious to myself, if only I may finish my course, the minister, ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. 
to testify to the gospel, the grace of God. The trials we go through, the things we go through, are not to wear us down, are not, they're not t- tricks. They're opportunities for us to rely on God and let him be a parent in our lives and the people around us. Evidence and proof that Jesus lives because he's dominant in our lives during those times and in joyful times too. His priorities were right where he was always always ready to preach, always ready to be a witness. He was a witness, okay? He did not value the praise of men over the um, approbation of God. He saw God and lived to please God. And then the final thing there with the priorities straight, he did not, he wasn't lazy in verses 33 to 35. He labored without greed. He demonstrated a good work ethic. And that's important for us, too. We don't sit on the couch and pull up a disability check or whatever. We work. This is work here. We, we um, and I don't mean it like some people are on disability. I'm saying we don't draw a disability check from the ministry, from God. We never retired from God's work, really, do we? We never retire. When we retire from working here, we're going to be in heaven, We're always going to be a witness. We never retire. There's no disability checks for, I used to be a witness for Jesus, and now I'm not anymore. I'm just drawn disability. That's what I mean by that, okay? Okay, just clear that up. I don't want to have to have Ken edit it out (laughs) when I misspeak. All right, let's just wrap this up. His final farewell then in verses 28 to 31. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock you're taking care of. And our little flock can be our kids. It can be just our friends, you know. I mean, it's just the people around us. We, we, we keep an eye on each other, okay? Linda shared this morning in her opening about um, staying alert and watching the devil prowling around and everything. And so this is what Paul is telling them here. You've got to stay upright, And he also points out, again, that it's God's flock, okay? These flocks, these these people that these elders are entrusted to are not theirs. They belong to God, and they were bought with the price of Christ's blood. Good things to remember. And then he prays for them in 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. The word of his grace is able to build you up. We, everyone, every Christian should be in a Bible study, you know, or at least study this on your own. I don't know how many Bibles people have, they never crack it open. But this is the thing that builds us up. He builds us up to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This is also sanctifying Paul goes on again to say that he didn't covet any of silver or gold. He was very humble. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. Again, a work ethic, okay? In all these things, here's his testament. I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things to them, 
He knelt down and prayed with them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced him and kissed him. And they were being sorrowful most of all because of the words that he had spoken to them that they would not see his face again. It was a final farewell to them on this side of heaven um, that they would not see him again. And, And the love there was very apparent that Paul had for them and they had for him. So work hard and don't stash up your treasures here. It's spiritual treasures that we're working for, okay? And have the hope of the resurrection. 